Today on the show, T. Earl Grey, hot. Your rosary routine, faith versus reason. Wait, that's not right, right? Our picks of the week and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts right now. Oh, yes, it is time for the CU Weekly. We are the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter now in its first decade of publication. It's episode number 356. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, as ever they are, Kathleen Lee. She's the religion teacher at Archbishop Chappelle High School in Metairie, locally sourced faith ninja. Hiya. Hiya, indeed. <laughs> also, I, I guess that's what you're supposed to say, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Just karate. Yeah, karate. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Olivia Galino, she is the Associate Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Dossies Baton Rouge. Hello, Olivia. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in space, we must go onto space to find Jeff Blackwell. He's the Technical Director of the CU. He is the Commandant of the Jeff Star 1 Near-Earth Orbit Satellite. He's up there. Hey, Jeff. Semi-formal night here on the uh, Jeff Star 1. It is. Come on up. You're looking sharp. Yeah, I didn't realize (laughs) that the Jeff Star 1 had homecoming. (laughs) We do. Every other year. Yeah. It's, it's, what is that, biannual? No, is it no. every well, two years? No, they can still be biannually, because it can yeah. be taken as twice a year or or every, every two, two years. <laughs> uh huh. Ed Ball. Don't, don't forget Ed, yeah. Ed Ball is in the, uh, in the ball pit down yes, there. Yeah, it's yeah. happening. Running, running, running the video. If you're, if you're watching uh, on the Facebook, if you're watching us on Catholic TV, uh, for all of you insomniacs who are catching us uh, at, the, at the early morning hours, hi. We're glad you're awake. We salute We you. are too. Yeah. Yes. We do salute you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, uh, I have just finished a, a mug of coffee, mm-hmm. but... Just one? Just, well, more than one. There you go. <laughs> but as it turns out, uh, tea is, is more than just another drink, hmm. you know, to, to consume with breakfast or to sip in the afternoon with friends. It actually has a history that dates back very, very far. How far, indeed? Well... Uh, actually, into the into the BC days. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know? yeah. yeah. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about about tea, because a lot of our favorite science fiction folks drink it, mm-hmm. like Captain Picard. Yep. Drinks his tea out of gray hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Jeff Blackwell, science fiction oh. Jeff, occasionally will drink tea. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we thought, you know, let's talk about some because there are health benefits to tea as well. Yeah. 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 So. Properly speaking, as distinct from other infusions, uh, which are called uh, teasanes, uh, and that has like fruit or, or mm-hmm. herbs in it, you know, like a chamomile or, or mm-hmm. um, passion fruit. I drink passion a passion fruit. fruit. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, but one. but tea mm-hmm. properly is the Camellia uh, sinensis plant. It's a species, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, until the 19th century, the only place that you could find tea was in Asia. But it began, began to be cultivated in Africa and uh, in Oceania, so in, in, uh, in all those regions, huh? uh, and in South America as well. So on average, consumption of tea is 1.25 pounds per capita. I don't know if that's per person. <laughs> it's hmm. a lot of tea. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Turkey is the country that consumes the most tea by far at 43 pounds wow. per capita. That's a lot of tea. Yeah. And so, uh, yes, there are five kinds of tea. Uh, according to their processing method. Now, this is something that I did not know. Mm-hmm. Normally, whenever I drink tea, it's uh, it's it's like a chamomile. It's usually yep. an herbal tea. Mm-hmm. But but uh, there there are different types of preparation of the same tea leaf. So white tea is usually obtained from the young leaves of the tea bush, and mm-hmm. they are generally not oxidized or processed at all. 
And so you'll remember from your reading that oxidation is uh, letting, um, letting the, the, the tea leaves uh, exposed to oxygen, and that creates compounds uh, that interact with, with the tea and, mm-hmm. and the air. Yeah. And so white tea, v- very little oxidation, and, um, and so it's got a very kind of a crisp flavor to it. Okay. Um, so 90% of white tea production takes place in China using artisanal methods. I don't know what that means exactly. It just means hipster. Hipster? Yeah. You yeah. think there are Chinese hipsters that are mm-hmm. making your tea? Sure. You put the word yeah. artisanal on anything. It's $5 extra. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. They sell it They sell it like on the top shelf teas. Have you noticed that there's like a tea tier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. Your, in your the budget teas are at the bottom. That's right. Yeah, the it budget teas. means all the teas. blood rushes to my head when I bend down there to pick that <laughs> away from those budget teas. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I've had some pretty good budget tea. Hmm. Yeah. Main, mainly black tea. So, okay. so whereas white tea... Well, tea in and of itself is not that expensive. No. no yeah. It's not. It can be. It can I don't be. know. I've, I've bought some teas before because the packaging was pretty mm-hmm. and it smelled good and mm-hmm. it ended up being delicious, but it cost me, you know, yeah. out of some groceries that week. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's right. You have to budget for your tea consumption. Mm. That's right. And and so whereas your white tea has kind of a fruity flavor and aroma because it's it's uh, there's very little oxidation happening there, um, it's much lower in caffeine, and it has greater antioxidant properties. So you know those those antioxidants, good for your skin, good mm-hmm. for your good for your intestines and all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say I'm still not sure what antioxidants do because everything healthy promises antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What well, if oxidation is bad, mm-hmm. you know, then. Okay. Keep your you insides from rusting. That's, that's not, right. That's yeah. not true. Because yeah. oh. if our insides were metal, that would mean something. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, black tea um, is the most commonly consumed variety. This is whenever you order tea at a restaurant, uh, oftentimes if it comes to you with a little teapot with lukewarm uh, water, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's black tea. And mm-hmm. that's actually the most tea that's, uh, that's drunk in, mm. um, across the world yeah. is black tea. Uh, so the most common varieties are Ceylon an English breakfast, Earl Grey, which is actually I like Earl Grey, not just because Jean-Luc Picard liked it, but I like the I like the flavor. I also like Lady Grey. Okay. Very nice tea. Heard of that one. And then Lapsang Souchong, which I've never had, I don't think. So there you go. Hmm. Um, and uh, and so black tea, it's the variety that has the greatest amount of caffeine in it. And it has other compounds that give it kind of a stimulant property. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. In fact I was reading over on the BBC, uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation there was a really good article on why uh, the Brits drink tea so much. And one of the things that's posited is that um, it's the perfect uh, aside thing that takes time to do. And so if you find yourself in a socially awkward moment, mm-hmm. um, ah. which admittedly the BBC article says a lot of Brits do, mm. uh, then, then you can immediately make a pot of tea. That's yes. interesting. So there's the, this kind of cultural thing where if, if anything is going wrong mm-hmm. or anything is is you know mm-hmm. uncomfortable i'll make some tea i'll, just, I have a spot I'll just, of tea that's right i'll just go, yeah, i'll right. go put the kettle on right, right. Yeah. Would you like some tea? that's why yeah. it only takes 20 minutes to make scones too right like mm. i'll just pop in the kitchen that's oh. right exactly yeah. i've actually read something though that talked about like beverages sorry mm-hmm. kathleen beverages. beverages and um and how they're used as kind of a social lubricant yeah like um even non-alcoholic when, ones yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah. Uh, i think the thing that i read talked about how cigarettes used to be our way of kind of bridging mm-hmm. awkward silence oh yes because you could just you know yeah because you pull could just, in a drag and mm-hmm, right yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it was an excuse for the silence but mm-hmm. then when people started to stop smoking or at least like the trend went way down once they discovered the correlations to cancer that's, that's when things like 
bottled water ah. or uh, I'm mean, talking about in America, um, yeah. coffee, those kinds of things started to go on the rise. Uh-huh. Hmm. Interesting. But that's not in my business. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. We're socially uh, awkward people. Let's just own up to it. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and Dr. Uh, Mike in the chat room says, when in doubt, pinky out. Very yeah, nice. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. You never know. That's classy. You know, That's classy you never right know there. When you're be. He is. He is a classy doctor. Uh, like that. Uh, let's see. So, so in addition to uh, the an- the stimulant properties of black tea, they also have antioxidants in them because of the way they're processed. And then there's green tea. Uh, which uh, is is very popular nowadays. It's kind of mm-hmm. one of those things that's mixed into everything. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it doesn't require any fermentation, and so the leaves can serve better in their natural oils, and uh, all the other compounds that come about with the tea, and so it has higher level of uh, uh, polyphenols, which is a kind of an- antioxidant, which is why it's supposed to be good for you. Um, now it's interesting that that you know we talk about all these health benefits to tea. Uh, the BBC article I was reading said, you know, it's quite possible that the only health benefit to tea is that your hands are warm <laughs> and it gives you something to drink, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but even still, there, there's something to be said about, uh, about a soothing beverage, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's green tea or black tea or white tea. Mm. And then, of course, there's oolong tea. My which favorite. Is, no, I don't which is sometimes called blue tea because <laughs> it's semi-fermented. Mm. So uh, it's a procedure that's shorter but similar to that of black tea. Um, it has a diuretic. Uh, antioxidant and astringent uh, properties. And I, I like oolong tea because it has a little milder, fruitier flavor than black tea. I don't think I've ever had oolong. Uh, yeah. It has a little bit more caffeine than green tea. They say that if you really want a nice little caffeine kick in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. I say they, it is said <laughs> yes. um, that, that green tea is, is kind of a good coffee alternative if no. you don't want no. the kick of black tea. Sorry. Yeah. So, so, so at tea time, uh, at 4 p.m. here in the States, right? Um, do you do you take coffee or tea? I am not a <clears throat> a coffee drinker, um, but I found that I to to like fit in with the crowd. Mm-hmm. I uh, I order tea, but the only tea that I really like on consistent on a consistent basis is chai tea. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right. Um, and I don't know which one that that falls. It's under. a mix in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll try every every once in a while, but usually it just tastes like bitter water. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I no, I I agree. Well, okay. I used to agree and then one of my friends convinced me that tea was one of the best things and she, she kind of like walked me through it. And I'm still I'm not I I can't even do like Earl Grey or anything cuz that's too much, but yeah. like some of the different herbal teas or like the black tea blends, those are really nice. And so like I, loose leaf tea. Yeah. I yeah. also have a slight aversion to it because let's be honest, it's one of those beverages that people take pictures of and <laughs> post on their Instagram account. <laughs> Just sitting here having a nice cup of tea in Louisiana. It's 110 degrees outside. That's true. But chai tea, I love it. It, Well, it usually comes in a plastic tumbler, right? Yeah. I'm gonna start tying you in every milk and sugar. Every picture I see a beverage in. Maybe that's why I chose beverages for the top of the show. I don't know. I'm just saying. So glad. So glad. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, there's pu'er tea, which has uh, an earthy, pleasant flavor. I do like. I like the pu'er tea. Mm -hmm. Never heard. Um, Yep. Yeah, also antioxidant. It's it's used in weight loss situations because it has a diuretic quality to it. Uh, oh. it, it, okay. it assists digestion. The what is it called? Like yerba mate tea? What is that? Oh, I you know I don't know. Into? Is I, that a category of its own? Because I I didn't. It said weight loss, uh, and I was that's what I first thought of. I wonder if mm-hmm. it's in that category. I don't know. Actually, I, yeah. uh, there you go. Something um, to uh, Google. Ron in the chat room says, have you tried the hoji cha, which is a roasted green tea? That sounds Ooh, very good. Yeah. I like roasted things. Yeah. So, yeah. 
um, Brussels sprouts. I no, do like gross. roasted Brussels sprouts, but I don't know that I would. <laughs> oh, you know, I did actually. I made um, I made a uh, a pork loin the other day that I uh, marinated in tea. Really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it had a, it had a good flavor to it. Yeah, because oh, the no. bergamot the bergamot um, yeah. uh, flavor that that was part of the tea it really kind of came out in the pork wow. loin. That's interesting. I, I would have never thought look of up that. That uh, that X-ray, that recipe. That X-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Look, I'm sorry. I where'd you get the pork loin? <laughs> 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 From the hospital. <laughs> the vet. Oh, no, God. no, I didn't. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, that took a turn. <laughs> Wait a minute. It wasn't a veterinarian. It was no. actually just a restaurant. That's where it was. No, sorry. Plugs it with a yeah. nuclear power plant. <laughs> I'm sure Pete is going to be giving me a call. Yeah, right. Butcher yeah. priest. That's right. Uh, so so yeah, there are a lot of other. Varieties of tea and different presentations. Tea can be served hot or cold. If you're in the southern part of the United States, chances are it's going to be cold. And depending on what part of the southern United States you're in, it's going to be sweet. Yep. Mm-hmm. In fact, Louisiana is not really a sweet tea region. I mean, you can get it, but it's not. Yeah. You really have to go a couple yeah. of states over for yeah, that's that. True. You know? yeah. Or at least for that to be like you say you want tea and they're yeah. going to give the you default. automatically sweet tea. Here mm-hmm. they'll say you want sweet or unsweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can also mix uh, black tea with uh, with other herbs and spices and fruits. In fact, that's I, kind of the popular aisle of your supermarket is mm-hmm. a lot of those. Um, I, I like uh, I like the strictly herbal ones. In fact, uh, Dr. Mike says that he likes the the bedtime tea that made by the company called Yogi. Oh. Yeah. Hey, boo boo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's right. It's in the picnic basket. Right? <laughs> um, and then uh, and I like those too. Uh, there's a yeah. I actually I I'm a, a convert to chamomile. Um, whenever I was in Mexico, oh, you've heard this before, you long-time podcast listener, you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you were thinking, oh, Father Chris telling a story again about the tea. But yeah, I learned to, to like uh, herbal tea, chamomile tea in Mexico because that was all they served in the morning, and I didn't yeah, want mango juice. True. There was a tea that I don't, I don't know what kind it was, but I, I learned to love tea in Africa because oh, yeah? they, would, they would give you tea. It was kind of like a chai tea mm-hmm. almost. Um, they would serve you tea and milk and then slices of white bread. And it was the best I've ever had in my life. Yes, and for me, proper tea, you know, proper tea time, the best part about it is the biscuit. Yeah. Oh, no, this was just sliced, yeah. sliced bread, like oh. sliced right, yeah. sandwich bread. And it was awesome. Yeah. awesome. I've never loved <laughs> sandwich bread as much as I did. Well, then. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, chai is, is brewing black tea with uh, like cardamom and cinnamon and mm-hmm. ginger cloves and yeah. pepper. And that's what gives it its little kick. Oof, yeah. Let me some yeah. chai tea. Yeah, chai is a nice little mix-in mm-hmm. to the tea, mm-hmm. and uh, and my my assistant, um, my parochial vicar who is from India, uh, likes to make uh, cardamom tea, and so he'll take these uh, little cardamom seeds mm-hmm. and he'll lightly crush them, but not destroy them, right. mm-hmm. you know, not pulverize them, and then he'll he'll cook that in milk, mm. and then he'll serve it up. Wow, oh, wow. that sounds awesome. Yeah, he'll strain out the cardamom. It's actually really good. That sounds mm-hmm. delicious. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So there are many different ways to to enjoy tea, and. Uh, Maybe you could let us know what your favorite ways to enjoy yeah. tea are. Uh, there are nutritional properties to tea, you know. It's notable for all the antioxidant stuff. Um, and supposedly, uh, drinking tea in moderation has been linked to greater bone mineral density. Mm. Cause all this, this stuff is being studied, you know. Um, yeah. But we don't know. We're not a scientific podcast. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> in a moment, right? Put some sugar in and I'll drink it anyway. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate anything that validates the behaviors i already that that you've already adopted yeah yeah. tea's good coffee's good Mm -hmm. wine's good but of course we know that everything should be consumed in moderation right you you don't want to drink too much tea 
Um, it's not miraculous, you know. Um, and, and so if you haven't already, go find out what kind of tea you like the most. Let us know. Backchat at catholicunderground.com. That's the way to do it. Uh, so shall we move on from this uh, slightly boring topic? <laughs> we'll do so after we let you know we are the Catholic Underground. You have stumbled upon the Catholic Underground. We're certainly glad that you have. We are online at catholicunderground.tv. I am Father Chris Decker. Not drinking tea. No, 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 no tea here. Um, Jeff Blackwell's up in space. Got Olivia Galino and Kathleen Lee. I'm drinking Fanta. Fanta? Yep. The, the, Don't you want The Pontiff Emeritus beverage mm-hmm. of choice. Yep. You know, that, that was Pope Benedict's favorite. It's orange Fanta. It is still, I presume, oh. his favorite drink is orange yep. Fanta. Is that real? Yeah. Here's mm-hmm. to you. Oh, Here's he's to you. such a know. cute little hipster Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his Fanta. He's so cute. Yeah, I don't know if it can or bottle. Best. He probably likes it in the bottle. You know, because that, that, that's very that's a a common way to drink it in, mm. in, uh, in Italy is in the bottle. Uh. Have you seen the pictures of him in his little white vest? I have. Because yeah. it's cold. It is. It's a little mattress jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Love it. it well, uh, our picks of the week are coming up, we promise. But uh, but first, since it is the end of October, whenever this uh, this show is coming to you, uh, we're still at the, the cusp of the edge of the, of the month of the rosary. Sure. And so there's still a week to enjoy. The benefits of the rosary in this month of the rosary, and then of course uh, you can continue to pray it even outside of the month of October, and we we hope that you do. And uh, the the provocative article over at Alatea is ten ways to not hate the rosary. Yeah, I some people find the rosary as a chore. I don't hate the rosary. You don't? No, Mm -hmm. it is not my like. It's not my go-to. Admittedly, I wish I've been working on it being you know more of my go-to prayer um but i don't hate it and i don't think that a lot of you're not going to find people who actually hate the rosary Mm -hmm. they might find it very tedious they may find it find it time consuming they may find a little bit of it um of a chore maybe but not uh so much that they hate it now tom hoops right profoundly believes that god in his providence planned this year the 100th anniversary of fatima to follow the year of mercy right god wanted us to hear about faustina now he wants us to hear about jacinta right Yep. Um, he wanted us to focus on the forgiveness of sinners, and now he wants us to focus on the conversion of sinners. And how do we convert our hearts, right, through prayer, um, and, and most notably through the rosary? Now, sometimes mm-hmm. the rosary may feel like a chore. And you know, I have to fight sometimes. Uh, true confessions. I have to fight the urge to to put off the rosary yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, because I know I know if I'm driving to my farthest parish, I have three. So mm-hmm. I know that if I have mass at the farthest parish, that is the perfect amount of time for an entire recollected rosary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 23 minutes, I know that gives me basically a minute and a half on either side yeah. from from uh, point A to destination. Yeah. yeah. And and I remember I'll think sometimes well, I, you know, I, I haven't started praying it yet, and I'm almost to the stop sign, so that means I'm not going to be able to finish by the time I get, you know, I'll put yeah. it off. Yeah. Wow. You know? Well, we also, yeah. like, a lot yeah. of people put it off until the end of the day. Mm-hmm. 
they're in bed and they're like, oh, I'll just fall asleep. And then this whole thing about how your guardian angels finish. Oh, my guardian angels will finish. No, you finish it. <laughs> say, say it in the middle of the day. Well, oh. that, that's that's a good way to put it, right? Sure. Yeah, say it in the middle of the day. Say it in the middle of the day. Say it don't in the be morning. worried. About, by the way, I need to just say, don't be worried about falling asleep while praying your rosary. Yeah. Right. At yeah, least you should, you're doing yes. it, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes, admittedly. However, this shouldn't be like an excuse, mm-hmm. you know, because right. because then we get in the habit of in knowing we're not going to finish this prayer. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you sound like a teacher. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> so here are ten ways that Tom Hoops um, suggests that uh, that to g- be more active in praying the Rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, now, five of these uh, very practical tips are found in Saint John Paul II's Apostolic Letter on the Rosary. How convenient, because today. Mm-hmm. is his feast day indeed so first he says the short introduction he says sometimes the rosary's long intro is dreaded by children and by some adults as well now john paul ii wrote quote in different parts of the church there are many ways to introduce the rosary in some places it is customary to begin with the opening words of psalm 70 oh god come to my aid oh lord make haste is to that help for me. real really because mm-hmm. i do that without thinking yeah mm-hmm. and and do you know why that is because traditionally, the 150 uh, Hail Marys mm-hmm. were uh, a way of, of kind of uh, shorthanding the 150 Psalms. And the way that, that the uh, priests and religious begin the divine office sure. is with Psalm 70. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. I do it without thinking. Yeah. yeah. Huh. But that oh. makes a lot of sense, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. JP2 also says that in other places, the rosary begins with the recitation of the creed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the shorter that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So the shorter introduction is a great relief to young minds and to adults as well, allowing them to focus on the mysteries themselves. Um, and now when we do occasionally say the rosary with a creed, it's welcomed as a novelty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a second picture the mysteries. Now, this is really this is really helpful because a lot of times if you're like me, um, I will begin the mystery and halfway through it. I'm like, I have no what, I don't know where I where am I? Oh, you get I lost. Know. Yeah. I, I know where I am, but I don't know where I am in the mystery. I'm like, what mystery was I focusing on? Mm -hmm. But John Paul II says, um, picture the mysteries. He recommends in his letter that looking at images of the mysteries helps a great deal. Um, And he's right. And while it uh, it used to be complicated to assemble the images that you might need, now, right, it's just going on Google, finding, you know, some images and saving them to a file. That's a clever idea. Mm -hmm. Or printing them out. Like, I had to have a tangible, so I had to touch it. Rosary flashcards. Yeah. Put it on. Put it on one page. Yeah. You printed out all five mysteries Kathleen, on one page. Kathleen, you could make tens of thousands of dollars making mm. rosary flashcards. Millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Or use your imagination, right? And this is what I like to do. Yeah. Pick five uh, figures from the mystery and imagine one per Hail Mary. Mm. Then cycle through again. So for the first glorious mystery, right, a sleeping soldier, the risen Christ, Mary Magdalene, surprised, uh, John and Peter racing to the tomb, the angel on the stone, right? Imagine these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they're and not only just imagine them like as a, as a statue, right? But to imagine their reaction and what's going on. Like put mm-hmm. yourself in the story. And, and it's okay at this point to kind of let your imagination run. Yeah. I know sometimes sometimes you feel like, hmm, if I let my imagination run, am I going to get into the heresy zone? Sure. You know. Mm-hmm. But it's okay whenever you're whenever you're practicing that devotional to to kind of imagine those sleeping soldiers, you know. Yeah. Um, and and imagine uh, what's happening in that scene. Yeah. You know? Imagine. Um, uh, Mary Magdalene being surprised and yeah. what she might say. Things yeah. that maybe aren't recorded in the mm-hmm. scriptures, but you can. There's there's some some room for you to, mm-hmm. to kind of walk around the scene. That's the kind of the, the Ignatian method of mm-hmm. examining yeah. it from all the angles. And I think too, if you if you put a little bit of emotion into it, yeah, and into like imagining their their reaction, it may bring something up in your own life that you 
need to pray about. Yeah. Um, so, so he goes on to say, um, for this idea of picturing the mysteries, um, for any mystery, you can simply imagine Mary and Joseph, then Jesus, then the Blessed Sacrament, then a mystery-specific image for your five, right? Or you can go through the five wounds twice, or if you're in a chapel, pick five sacred objects and cycle mm-hmm. through oh, that's those. That's cool. Maybe perhaps the Mary statue, the Joseph statue, the mm-hmm. sacred heart picture, the tabernacle, the crucifix. What is it um, that is surrounding you in prayer? Because we know, and we've talked about this before on the show, mm-hmm. that these things are meant to, you know, they aren't just placed in a church to be, you know, decoration. Be, right. They're meant to lead us deeper into prayer. Right. They are a catechism yeah. uh, of, the, of their own kind, right? Yeah. So. That's, so that's use your surroundings, idea. right? Third, he says, read scripture. Hello, right? <laughs> scripture reading either in a block before each mystery or in bits and pieces throughout mm-hmm. um, can do wonders to focus your mind. Um, and John Paul II says, since it can also um, overwhelm the mind, he suggests adding a significant silence after the reading, mm-hmm. right? And so enter into that scripture. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a whole chapter. Right. You know, maybe it's just one verse, um, but do yeah. a scriptural rosary you could do it you know right before the the um the mystery and move on or you can do it throughout that's mm-hmm. right and there are there are different rosary um guides that you can find all over yeah. that uh, that actually have um those single lines of scripture that mm-hmm. that go along with each of the uh, the hail marys of the decade yeah mm-hmm. this one is really interesting the fourth one he says um add a word after jesus and i was i was trying oh, yeah. i was reading this and i was like what does this mean? It says St. John Paul II credits Pope Paul VI mm-hmm. with promoting the practice of adding a word after Jesus in the Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. So if you're focusing on, um, you know, the, the nativity, right? Or you're focusing on, um, you know, Jesus rising from the grave, right? So you say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus risen. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. add that. Okay. You're, this is where you are. Yeah. This is, you know, what Jesus is doing in this mystery. Um, and I think that's that really, awesome that's really idea. interesting. Yeah. Kind of keep say, your mind focused on, on what's going on. I've actually tried that mm-hmm. and it's, it's powerful to the point of like, Ooh, maybe I should stop. This is, this is this little much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's an, you're saying it leads you into an encounter. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you use titles that the church already uses, like, oh, yeah. like, you know, for the nativity, like mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, holy child mm-hmm. or like yeah. Jesus infant child. Uh, mm-hmm. and you just, you really have to like dive deep into that. Jesus searched for urgently. Yeah. 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 So we have a couple more. I just want to move kind of quickly through them. The fifth one that John Paul II talks about is to sing, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have to sing the whole rosary, but maybe try chanting the glory be, right? I do this. And he moves, he moves on into a couple more uh, and they're obviously, you know, aimed at families with young yeah. children, but these are great things to, to do. Number six, he says, use figurines, hmm. right? Oh, use yeah. your nativity set. That's and, awesome. And, you know, and, and have your kids or have whoever you're praying with, you know, set the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do this with, I have a lot of friends who have young kids who have felt, you know, s- scenes and they mm. just cut it, you know, figurines out of felt and you use that, right? Seventh, he says, draw. Maybe twice a month, the Hoops family uh, do what they call rosary reflections and they all draw the mysteries while they pray That's them. a cool family thing. That's really cool, mm-hmm. especially if you have some creative minds. Um, eighth, he says, tour the house. Um, and this is, a, you know, add some movement to your um, to your rosary and add some sacred spaces. Ninth, the mixed up rosary, which is really interesting. Um, talking about mixing up the mysteries and tinthy says rotate your leader all right well you're gonna have to go to the article for that we're the catholic underground we'll be back in just a second stay right where you are
A prayer for vocations. O God, who wills not the death of a sinner, but rather that he be converted and live, grant we beseech you through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, Saint Joseph her spouse, and all the saints, an increase of laborers for your church, fellow laborers with Christ, to spend and consume themselves for souls. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. No, you're not caught in an elevator. You are listening to the Catholic Underground with me, Father Chris Decker, joined by Olivia Galino, Kathleen Lee, Jeff Blackwell is up there in space, who's... It's, it is cocktail time up here. Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're if you're watching us on the radio or in the podcast form, Jeff is in his uh, tuxedo T-shirt, mm-hmm. which is which is quite stylish. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What cocktails do you do you serve up there on Jeff Star One? Uh, it's it's non-alcoholic, believe me. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it's space vodka, apple juice. That's right. <laughs> apple juice a is space shot of vodka. Grapefruit. Yeah. yeah. There you go. It's okay. We're a family show. And a Catholic family show, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're of age, you can enjoy things moderately yep. in moderation. Very important to do that. Alrighty. Uh, speaking of things in moderation that have gone way overboard, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. faith and reason, often oh, yeah. known in our society as faith versus reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia, is it really designed to be that way where, where faith and reason are at odds? It doesn't seem like it should be. But it, no, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> no you're right. Because faith and reason, people will bring that up, either that specific phrase or just some topic to lead into that kind of discussion. And you just get the the idea that this is, it's battle royale. It's going down. Mm-hmm. Um, that someone has to come out victorious. It's either going to be faith or it's going to be reason. When, you know, we're Catholics, we believe in both and. Yep. Um, so the idea that faith and reason can coexist and, in fact, need each other is not as obvious as it should be. Um, And popular culture and society today is particularly fractured, especially on this issue. Um, Because many believe that religion is so hopelessly inimical to science that Mm -hmm. any attempt to reconcile them would be futile, basically trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And so what we get is kind of this sensationalized idea of the war. Right. Between science and religion. You can also almost imagine, you know, CNN making the title card for this, you know, the war. Oh, right. Or like some special on the History Channel. It, well, yeah, well, there's that too. I'm surprised that hasn't come about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, give them time. Um, so there's this evolutionary scientist, Jerry Coyne, he says in the New Republic that accepting both science and conventional faith leaves you with a double standard, he says, between rationality and irrationality. Really? So basically, according to him, we're rational on the origin of blood clotting, <laughs> irrational on the resurrection, rational on dinosaurs, irrational on virgin births. Oh. Eh. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't, this, it, obviously, it doesn't seem like that could could be true unless no. unless religion itself is a sham and not reasonable. Right. Well, and it presupposes that that religion, but also God Himself, is irrational. Mm. Um, when we don't believe that to be true, because the, the universe is ordered. God is a God of order. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Genesis in the very first page of the Bible. Uh, we see God creating order by his by himself by his word he speaks order over the chaos so and it would seem that even science suggests that doesn't it 
tis it does <laughs> yeah. um but this view that that um you know faith is basically equivalent to irrationality and science is equivalent to rationality is something that can be summed up as scientism yeah. uh, and scientism just kind a, of a false dichotomy right? right exactly it's putting a dichotomy where there isn't one mm-hmm. it's just uh, an arbitrary uh juxtaposition um but scientism just to define our terms, uh, it's this philosophical assumption that the real or what is um, what we can perceive to be reality is reducible to what the empirical sciences can verify or describe. So like Kathleen's science fair backboard, you yes. know, the, the scientific method, right? Right. Yeah. Of hypothesis procedure. I can't remember them all. Is that bad? <laughs> um, you only learned this 18 million times in school. No, it's so okay. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing. That and the uh, the, uh, the order of the planets is the one thing that everybody leaves science knowing. Oh, the order of the planets. I don't know. I feel like that. those were the two things that were like yeah. hammered home. But yes, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. This has been the Catholic underground, and that's uh, and that's empirically verifiable. Right, right. Um, but basically, that that idea that what can be quantified or qualified, or I measured. should say, as reality mm-hmm. are the things that can be measured, the things that can be proven, so to speak, scientifically. Um, and you know, the obvious success of physical sciences, um, especially evident in the technology that surrounds us um, mm-hmm. and really that facilitates our lives in a pretty drastic way. Um, that success has convinced many people that anything outside of the range of the empirical, uh, of the, the measurable is just fantasy, mm-hmm. um, that it's superstition, that's primitive belief. That's right. Literature at, right. at best, right? Right. And this is not uh, a new idea. This is something that's been around really since like Francis Bacon, mm-hmm. um, but like that cusp of the enlightenment. So, I mean, we're talking 400 years of this perceived battle between science and faith, um, and really, there might be a dimension of reality knowable in a non-scientific but still rational rational manner, um, but that doesn't really occur to scientists anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the non-rational has a place in an intellectual uh, sphere, uh, and that which prejudice is a new kind of thought. Actually, it's only mm-hmm. it's only maybe four or five hundred years old, which is right. something because because oftentimes the time in which we live, we think that things have always been that way. Right. You know. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things that the benefits of studying history, but also of studying philosophy, theology, um, is because you realize that these things never used to be divorced. You know, we mm-hmm. have this idea of disciplines. You know, mm-hmm. you have academic disciplines. If you're a physics major, if you're a biology major, if you study ancient philosophy or, uh, you know, early modern philosophy, like you're in a discipline. Yeah. And then if you cross between those, it's interdisciplinary, right? But the fact is that academics used to be, by definition, interdisciplinary. It all used to be one. Which is why whenever uh, your average college kid goes to college, Mm -hmm. most colleges, if not all of them, he begins to wonder, well, why do I have to study earth sciences Mm -hmm. and algebra and uh, what were the other like things and English and right, but you know, right, and and composition. But but I you know I want to be a you know marine biologist right. so so why do i have to study philosophy right well this is why these are yeah. the the what's left of what we would have called the the, the trivium and the quadrivium right exactly and it's the same reason why some philosophers also made great strides in mathematics mm-hmm. you know leibniz um he was the one who came up with calculus yeah you know what i mean so like the, the the idea that you have to like stay in your corner everyone has to be in their own little boxes is something that is very new mm-hmm. um but that prejudice against 
the non-rational, you know, so so perceived, uh, or the the more liberal arts, we could say, it's a it's a kind of blindness to literature and philosophy and metaphysics, rightly understood, mm-hmm. and mysticism and religion. That's scientism. That prejudice against those things that we can't measure, we can't quantify. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is is another matter entirely, because basically, science and religion they're not mutually exclusive. We can say that. That's objectively true. Mm-hmm. Um, a scientist who approaches the world as a product of intelligence rather than of matter and motion is less likely to stop short of discovery. If you can see order in something and then try to understand that order instead of trying to um, apply your own rules, apply your own laws onto something, you're going to have a lot easier time coming to a conclusion, coming to a discovery than if you're trying, like I said, to to impose um, some kind of theory or idea onto mm-hmm. what already exists. Um, so rather than obstructing science, Christianity, with its emphasis on a personal creator, inspired an age of discovery that actually opened the way for science. Um, and this is something that you'll hear a lot of people talk about um, when this this uh, war between faith and reason comes up. They'll say, well, did you know that lots of people in the Catholic Church were involved in science? And a lot of times people will be like, what? That's right. Yeah, um, usually father isn't put in the in front of uh, some of these folks uh, right. in your science textbook. Yeah, right. But there's lots of priests, sisters, mm-hmm. lay Catholics who have done, who've made great strides in the you know what we call the hard sciences mm-hmm. because they really because they are people of faith right exactly yeah, that's the, that's the thing it's not because of like well I'm going to disprove faith mm-hmm. but no because I'm a, a man or a woman of faith then I want to understand more about this ordered universe in which I find myself right and that's really the gift of science in fact uh, if I may Star Trek sideline for a second oh, you know the, the the great gift of of good science fiction right is that it talks about humanity's desire to discover, mm-hmm. to step outside of its its own conventions, and then to look into uh, into into undiscovered frontiers, mm-hmm. and that's really kind of the the beauty of science too. But but that desire to know, that desire to kind of better ourselves, which is what all science fiction, good science fiction, is about, right? Well, we would have no desire to do anything of the sort unless there was something that were driving that in us. Mm-hmm. You know, if all we are is just kind of, you know, flesh and bone and that's it, then why would we want to yeah. advance into the future? Right. right we know? have no impetus for yeah. that. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, right. sidebar over. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, so, you know, thinking about this whole perceived war between faith and science, the reality is that the modern physical sciences were, in fact, made possible by the religious milieu uh, out of which they emerged. Like mm-hmm. we said before, there was just a culture of Christianity um, that was uh, just, it permeated everything. It permeated not only pe- how the way people live their lives and their, their moral lives, but also their intellectual pursuits. Um, so it's no accident that modern science first appeared precisely in Christian Europe, um, where a doctrine of creation held sway. So, you know, as the church, we we expound the, the belief in um, creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. Um, and to say that the world is created like that is to say to accept simultaneously the two assumptions required for science. So, number one, that the universe is not divine because something that is created is a creature. Um, mm. and it doesn't have its origin in itself. Um, but number two, that it's marked through and through by intelligibility. So if you're created, um, yeah. if you are a creature, let's imagine you know, you're making something out of wood. The person who's making that birdhouse um, is going to be reading his own intelligibility, his or her own intelligibility into that birdhouse. Mm. And so when someone looks at it, they're going to say, hmm, 
a birdhouse. Yeah. They're going to they're going to know what it is because the person has has applied their own intelligibility into that. And it's it's similar with creation of the universe, with yeah. the creation of individual creatures, but also thinking of the universe itself as a creature. Um so that it has kind of inherent in it the intelligibility of the creator, of the one who who brought it into being. That's right. By creature we mean that which is created. Exactly. And even though it looks like a birdhouse, Kathleen's ferrets live in it. Is yeah, that okay? I wish I had a ferret. <laughs> is that real? You really do? I, I used to go into the pet shop when they would have open open cages, and I just stuck my hand in it. Like, <laughs> until somebody would come around and go, would you like to hold one? I said, yes, yes, I would. Oh my my mom never let me have one. I, now you know. I'm going to need to hear the origin story behind the desire for a ferret. They're oh so boy. cute. They are, they are creatures. <laughs> yes, they are. No doubt about that. Sorry. No, That's don't right. be sorry. I'm like super intrigued now. I didn't mm. know that. Stinky um, creatures. They are right? stinky. They're, well, they're musky. They have a yeah. musky. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. You, can, you, can, yeah. you can remove that, though. It's okay. No. <laughs> Kathleen has thought it through. I, I have presented this several times to my parents. <laughs> With I her had, science fair I board. I had visuals and stats and <laughs> price right. ranges. So you and... want a ferret and you have your backboard. Yeah. What next? <laughs> oh, my gosh. There you go. So, right. so yes. Yeah, so, I have no transition for that. Yes, but just... just <laughs> Um, but okay. So thinking of, you know, creation, like a ferret, a creature, uh, <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Um, you know, number one, we, our assumption is that the universe is not divine. Um, so, it, but if it was, let's imagine for a second, if the universe or nature is considered divine as it is in many philosophies and mysticisms, even to this day, um, yeah. then one would never allow oneself to analyze it, to dissect it, to perform experiments on it. Uh, if it were divine. If it were yeah. divine. Yeah. Um, mm. Because, you know, you, you consider the divine as something above yourself. You don't subject something that is above yourself, spiritually speaking, to, you know, tests and analyze analy yeah. analytical experiments. Analytics. Let's get yeah. analytics. Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, but, you know, a created world, by definition, is not divine, like we were talking about. There's creator and there's creature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's other than God, creation is. And in that very otherness, scientists actually find their freedom to act. Um, it's the same as, you know, it's not the same. It's similar as the the woodworker and the birdhouse. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes something other that yeah. we can then, you know, put on this table and examine from all sides and measure mm -hmm. and knock on the wood and test the structural integrity of it. Um, it becomes something other than the creator that we can examine, that we can look at. Um, and at the same time, if the world is unintelligible, uh, no science would ever get off the ground. Right. Um, since so, all science is based on the presumption that nature can be known. Mm -hmm. Um, so that goes, uh, in reference to the second assumption that, um, that creation has intelligibility by virtue of its being created. Mm -hmm. Um, so the fact that we can, you know, look at this proverbial birdhouse. I'm sorry for this metaphor, but okay. you know, it works. Or a ferret um, house, if you mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. let's look at the ferret house. Um, the fact that you can look at the ferret house and measure it and knock on the wood and, you know, uh, quantify it in some way, uh, is uh, it speaks to the fact that there's intelligibility in it, that mm -hmm. it, it means something to look at it. It means right. something to measure it. Um, and it wouldn't, that wouldn't be the case if it didn't have intelligibility. And what we mean by that is it has a form. Mm -hmm. Um, so not to get like too into philosophy, but like there's matter and there's form. The form is something that gives matter its shape, yeah. gives matter its meaning, uh, essentially. So when we look at something and we know what it is, I can look at a chair and I, my mind identifies it as chair. It's because it's seeing the form in it. Mm -hmm. And that's the intelligibility that's present in it. Moving on. 
Here's um, your phenomenology lesson for the day, mm-hmm. Jeff. Yeah. This makes me excited. <laughs> this is very Aristotle. This is actually. yeah, and this is um, this is what Aristotle really contributed to philosophy. Um, and I don't want to get too off topic, but um, but particularly speaking about like the idea that the the universe would be divine. That's something that the pre-Socratics were pretty on board with. Yeah. Um, they they saw the universe as being uh, ruled by different gods, different spirits and um, humors and humor. Oh gosh. And diff- yes. And then, you know, any kind of contention or natural disaster would, it would be explained by uh, war on a spiritual level mm-hmm. or, um, you know, between these gods that were ruling these different planets um, and all this kinds of stuff or celestial bodies, I should say. Um, so Aristotle comes in and he looks at the observable world and he reads into it still intelligibility, still creation um, as coming from some kind of divine order, but he sees it for what it is and mm-hmm. he observes um, basically the science in it, as we would say right. today. So he's really um, one of that, that first bastions of, uh, of faith and, and reason going together. Um, and so modern science and society is built on the work of scientists that worked within that unique Christian worldview that the universe is created and it has intelligibility. Um, so Copernicus is probably a name that's familiar. Uh, he was a Christian. He understood the universe as an intelligible creation that operated according to mathematically coherent principles. Um, and what's beautiful about him is, you know, he was the one who, who advocated um, a heliocentric plan for the universe. So basically, um, our planets rotate around the sun, heliocentric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and his initial attraction to that idea wasn't the result of this, you know, new observational data. Oh, it's clear from the evidence. We got to go this way. Um, but his notion that the sun, which, you know, we can understand he saw as symbolic of God, as light, as mm-hmm. lamp, mm-hmm. um, seemed a fitful center for divine activity. So he kind of saw the poetry in uh-huh. nature and, and decided that, Okay, there must be an explanation mm-hmm. as to why um, the you know we we already see this as an, a, a a metaphor I guess or a symbol of God. So there must be something inherent in that in nature, mm-hmm. uh, and he set out to prove it. Yeah, and um, and there there is some tension there, of course, because we mm-hmm. know in the Copernican affair mm-hmm. there there is an examination that takes place mm-hmm. because that wasn't the popular worldview at no. the time. And no. so there, there is always this, this exploration that takes place on both sides, right, mm-hmm. of faith and reason. Exactly, yeah. And just because something is, you know, seems to make sense by faith doesn't mean it's not under the scrutiny of reason and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, because both are reasonable. Exactly, yeah. Faith, faith, and faith is not irrational. Right. Oh, um, <laughs> it's like, it's like she's writing a thesis over here. Yeah. But the, no, this is something that really like tans my hide when, <laughs> when people, ha- when we have conversations about, well, oh, well, we only know that by faith or that's only revealed. And it's like, yes, revealed by a rational God. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, mm-hmm. so it, it's hard because it's just so ingrained into the way that we think and we yeah. don't even realize it. Yeah. Um, so having these kinds of conversations is great um, to just bring that to the surface. Um, there's also some you know, people like Johannes Kepler. Um, he was a man of faith who also depended on mathematics to explain the order of the universe. Um, he talked about how there's a, a rational order and harmony in the universe that's been imposed on it by God, and it's revealed in the language of mathematics. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard different scientists say that, that mathematics is kind of the language of the universe. It's God um, writing his love letter um, to, oh, wow. to creation, um, but through the language of mathematics. It's not enough to make me want to take differential calculus, but you know, I mean, <laughs> it's <That's-> beautiful. <laughs> Uh, things a mathematician would say. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then there's people like Galileo, and this is kind of where people uh, 
run into they seemingly because they always say, well, of, what about Galileo? Right, right. and and the reality is that um, that Galileo he okay. So if, if you're not familiar, Galileo was imprisoned uh, or put under house arrest because of his adamant towards uh, the heliocentric view of the, of the universe, uh, and he came up against the church. Um, but the resistance um, of, of the on the part of the church to his view of heliocentrism was not purely uh, religious. It was actually very scientific. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can't, you kind of can't fault the church on some uh, some level because they were going off of what they knew. It was a common sense perception of a static earth they were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no really accompanying physical mechanism to account for it. It was really just theoretical. Uh, and, it, and really he lacked a sufficient body of evidence to overturn a model um, that had proven quite successful, successful for centuries. Um, so really, in the end, they were going off of something like Occam's razor, the simplest explanation uh, usually proves to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of can't fault them for that. You know, there's there's always drama attached to it that um, tends to color people's view on how the church looks at faith. But then you, you realize that we really are standing on the shoulders of giants. And who are those giants? They're Catholic priests. Yeah, they're religious sisters. Mm-hmm. They're Catholic lay faithful. Um, you know, think about John Dalton, Andre Ampere, uh, George Alm, Michael Faraday, Louis Pasteur. These names are sounding familiar, right? William Kelvin, Gregor Mendel, George Washington Carver. They were all believers who were working out of their Christian faith. Even people like Monsignor George Lamatra, mm-hmm. the Big Bang Theory. He was the one who posited that. Um, so the idea that you know, faith is something that you fall back on when you don't have answers, like the God of the gaps theory, mm-hmm. or that um, that faith and reason always must be in contention is really not true. Like we were saying earlier, faith is something that gives um, it gives reference to to what you explore scientifically. It's something that gives poetry, something that gives uh, an elegance to what we see um, scientifically explained. And we it, it's it's the it's the plot, and science is the language. If ah, that makes sense. There you go. Um, but you can't have one without the other, right? You can't tell a story without using words, and you can't use words without any kind of story. It's, it's you need the two together. It's, it is both, and it's in fact, always uh, both and. as Deacon Dave says in the uh, in the chat room after a week, the Vatican Observatory uh, spent with the head of it, uh, uh, Brother Guy, who's uh, yeah, yeah, good Jesuit awesome. there, right? He said he really put it in perspective. Science seeks truth, religion seeks truth. Two different paths to the same end: God. Mm-hmm. Love that. Oh, there you that's go. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, you know what else is beautiful, Jeff? Yes. That part of the show that we like to call... The CU Pick of the Week. Woo! All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Pick of the Week night on the Jeff Star One every Sunday night, uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. All right, uh, Kathleen, <laughs> your Pick of the Week um, is in Technicolor here. Hold, please. Okay, yeah. She's Wait, got, got to, got, got she's got to prepare her Pick of the Week. We're going to have to send one up the pneumatic tube to the Jeff Star One. Hers is food, y'all, uh, if you're If you if know you're me, you know my love for a good gas station. <laughs> Trucks, <laughs> truck stops are preferable. I love a good truck stop, man. I, there's like magic things that, that are sold there. Now, backtrack to a couple years ago, I went to Disney World. And Disney World had a, a seasonal Rice Krispie treat that, oh. that came out. Now, mm. Rice Krispie treats, you know, packaged, pre-packaged Rice Krispie treats tend to be hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not flavorful, correct, um, and just all around bad. Yes. And so the other day I was in the racetrack, mm-hmm. it's a, it's which a, is a local a, chain a of gas, gas station, stations. Yeah. which is I mean, which is getting pretty awesome. Now I picked up this 
Rice Krispie Treat. Let's let's look at how big this thing is. It's it's a block. Yeah. That's right. Word yeah. up. It is a block. And so so now the only two that I found were blueberry and birthday cake. And I was like, <laughs> let me just try this because it looks delicious. Can I tell you? Please. It is an exact replica of the Disney Rice Krispie Treat. There, it's moist. <laughs> it's not too sweet. It is delicious. Oh. It's by Selma's. Selma's Baker. Look at this. I mean, this is a That's chunk a, you could, of crispy treat uh, here. For those of you uh, watching on the radio, it, it's it really like three it's, inches. It's, in, it's the yeah. size of half a brick. Yes, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it so I went on their website. I looked them up. Apparently, they started with cookies, oh. um, and then they have seasonal rice krispie treats. And wouldn't you know that you know you go to the where to find them page, mm-hmm. yeah. you can find them in amusement parks. In Florida and California. Oh. Hmm? Okay. Hmm? Okay. Not mentioning any names, but... <laughs> Kathleen Lee, Rice Krispie Conspiracist. I haven't tried the blueberry one. We're going to try it today. It's going to be awesome. So Selma's Rice Krispies. That's awesome. Check it out at your local racetrack. Yeah. Would you like how, some? Yeah. How oh, was that, that was on the good. floor? And I didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Thank you. Surprise. Snack attack. Yeah. Hey, Olivia, what's your pick of the week? Dang it. I just got the Rice Krispie treat. <laughs> Put it down. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a, oh, she has to get hers is a is a, a show and tell as well. Oh my, oh. it is. Oh. So last week we were I was asking Father Chris about a good journal because I wanted to start bullet journaling, um, and so he recommended the and it's in German the Luchterm, mm-hmm. um, and I it's a it's a dot journal which is great for bullet journaling, um, and so my whole pick of the week is really just bullet journaling because okay. this is changing my my productivity and yeah. just the way that I think. I'm so Type A that I need something like this, but it still allows me to be creative. Um, but this journal is really great um in order to do that um the it holds up really well it's got pockets um and then i use this other little sketchbook to make my monthly calendar um whoops so the sketchbook just has dots in it and you have drawn in and i've drawn in the um the little boxes and then you get to decorate with the washi tapes and the pretty markers kathleen's a little jealous i can feel it a little bit a little bit but this like satisfies every anxious tendency that you have because you get to use a ruler and it gets to be perfect and, and you can be, just, and you can craft it. And you can it. still, yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. artsy, but I'm craftsy. Um, <laughs> and so this is something that helps me be organized, which is important. Um, but you also get that chance to kind of customize something. So bullet journaling. There you go. Do it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put a link to the show notes. There's actually a whole website yeah. on how to do bullet journaling because oh, there really? there's a set of rules there that you kind right. of loosely follow. Yeah, and it can be as basic or as complicated as you want it to be. There you go. Yeah. Those are dangerous crispy squares. <laughs> Golly. Uh, Jeff, um, your pick of the week while uh, I go into a coma uh, here. Actually, uh, this uh, came from uh, a friend of ours at uh, Notre Dame Seminary, oh, New Orleans, uh, nice. Dr. Uh, Daniela Jupon Jerome. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had this on her Facebook, and I got to look at it. It's a pretty inc- uh, incredible list of. Um, well, we'll just say Netflix is having a Catholic moment. Um, mm. A recent article from America Magazine, the Jesuit Review mm-hmm. of Catholic movies, documentaries, and uh, even some co- uh, comedians that are available on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, now, not all of these are pro-Catholic, I'll tell you that, but there is quite a good list of uh, dozens of, of these movies, shows, 
uh, documentaries. So uh, check out the list. We'll have it in the show notes yeah. at CatholicUnderground.tv. All righty. And my pick of the week, sometimes you just need a nerdy Catholic t-shirt. Yep. Well, you can go to nerdycatholictees.com. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there are all sorts of different things there. So, so uh, my favorite, though, is that if you have somebody that's just come into the church, they have uh, um, Tiber River Swim Team oh, uh, shirts that, that you can buy um, from uh, from the Jubilee year all the way up to 2017. So, so if, uh, that's kind of the euphemism for somebody who's who's converting to the Catholic faith. They're swimming the Tiber, wow. right? Because that's the, the river that goes all the way up the to the Via della Concellazione. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, but there's also stuff that says, uh, let's see, uh, Eucharistic Adoration, Praise and Worship for Introverts, uh, Another Day, Another Collar, <laughs> uh, The Dogma Lives Loudly Within Me, uh, and then uh, Holy Diocese of Toledo. I just saw that one. Yeah, That's there awesome. There you go. Yep. Um, just about every possible kitschy thing that you, you know, have always wanted to say on a t-shirt being a Catholic, you can get them here at Nerdy Catholic Tees. Nice. That's my pick of the week. There's also some some really interesting devotional ones, too. Like, there's one of the Sacred Heart. There's one of uh, the St. Michael the Archangel Prayer. And then, um, well, then there's one that has Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it says the original Wonder Woman. So, as I say, they are oh. nerdy nice. Catholic Tees. Uh, and so we'll put the link in the show notes for those. But if it's Nerdy Catholic Tees, T-E-E-S dot com. Very good. That's my pick of the week. You know, Jeff, we're always so grateful for those who are who are beneficial benefit benefactors to us yes. uh, both in prayer and in uh, in their treasure. And so we want to say a special thank you to you who have supported us in the past, those of you who support us now, and those who will support us in the future. But also, Jeff, this week Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. So join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicundergroundcom uh, portions of the Catholic Underground are brought to you by audibletrial.com slash catholicunderground. That's audibletrial.com slash catholicunderground. And also by Mystic Monk Coffee. More information at catholicunderground.tv. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we could, there, there is a Catholic group that makes tea. I'm going to have to figure mm-hmm. out who they Mystic are. Mystic Monk makes tea. Do yep. they make tea? Yeah, well, there they you go. That's, that yes. must be what it is. They sure do. Well, if you want the show notes for our episode, you can shri- subscribe to our podcast audio. You can go to <laughs> catholicunderground.com. <laughs> To find all of that, I'm blaming it on the Rice Krispie Treat. Yeah. Our panelists have been Kathleen Lee, the benefactress. She's our faith ninja. The Hope Samurai. Hiya. Hiya. Also, <laughs> Olivia Galino has joined us. We're going to, she's got a little tickle in her throat there from all the faith mm. and reason. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry about thanks, that. Thanks, thanks, Olivia, though. No, you can't. You can't choose the sniffles. The sniffles choose you. <laughs> Jeff Blackwell up in space. He is our technical director. He's at Jeff Blackwellus on Twitter. Thanks, Jeff. It's a privilege, Father. Also, our research assistant, our leader of the crew, leader in the crew in the lab. My goodness. Jim Hayes <laughs> out there it. in California. Oh, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Uh, our video director of this episode has been Ed Ball. And you know me. Somehow, I am Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Twitter at Digital Catholic. That's my handle. It's coming up to the end of Inktober, so if you want to see all my Inktober drawings, they're there on the Twitter feed, also Instagram at Digital Catholic. We hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. It's there, we promise. We are the Catholic Underground. We're Faith Gone Digital. And we, my friends, so she, you, sushi, next time.